I think God, I think God calls us to live out loud. To live our life in such a way outside of this building, not to be awkward or to be rude or to be uh, strange, but just live what we believe. And that's what pushes us to this text today because I think that God has called us to become like, like Christ. Easier said than done, you know, in our culture. We have a way to, uh, to, to elevate those who have succeeded in their field. This week, I think we had some, some guys voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. They have reached the pinnacle of their, their career. In our, in our culture, we have things like um, Fortune 500, and we kind of use that to elevate or to announce people who are successful in their their area. Students have things like who's who and the honor roll, not the honorary roll, the honor roll. They have things like the dean's list and maybe you've been on some principal's list a time or two while you were in school. So our culture has, you know, there's really nothing in the church. You know, spiritually, there's no church member of the month. There's nothing uh, like believer of the century. You know, you can come here for a lifetime and never have your own parking spot at First Christian Church. You know, we, we, we don't have a way to, to, to kind of go down that path. It seems a little awkward. All that we know, the Bible tells us that we need to become like Christ. And that ought to be enough. I mean, that's a pretty worthy calling, is it not? Anybody here struggle with that? I kind of do. In fact, it's kind of hard to treat people the way Jesus did. Oh, we can do that sometimes with our, 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 our family, our, our own flesh and blood. Sometimes that's not even a good place. But with people that we like or who think the way we do, we can treat them kindly. But Jesus had the tendency to treat all people the same way. And we, we, we struggle with that kind of approach. I think God would have us walk the way his son did. In other words, live the same way. Have the same priorities, the same type of lifestyle. And we struggle with those kind of things. I think God would love us to be able to handle criticism the way his son Jesus did. I mean, he could have turned people into frogs. He never said, what do you say about my dad? <laughs> could have. Maybe I think the Father would like us to care for others the way Jesus did. And as believers, I think we are called to become like Christ. If you have your Bibles with you today, Romans chapter 8, 29, verse 29, the first part of that verse says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined, he predetermined, he preplanned to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So from the very beginning of time, God's plan was 
that when Jesus came, we, his people, his followers, could do our best to be like his son, Jesus. Anybody here ever not talk like Jesus would talk? Anybody here maybe not share the same kind of joke Jesus might, or anyone here might watch something that Jesus probably wouldn't watch? And man, we're usually pretty good here, aren't we? But where the real rubber meets the road is when we leave this place. How we live our life in the world. And there are many characteristics of Jesus that I find amazing, but I want to just point my finger at three today. And the first characteristic, we've already sung about this, we've heard scripture read about this. Jesus lived the life of love. And if we don't get that, then we are in pretty serious trouble. This is one of the most distinguishing qualities that he had. He loved people. And most of us are okay with people as long as they line up the way we do. I watched about this much of the inauguration Friday. Those of you who watched all of that, you need to get a life. <laughs> but the way to see, the, the, the way people responded, seriously, think it's going to do any good? The way they interacted, when, when Jesus loved people, his love was pure and genuine. There were no motives attached to his goodness. Jesus showed us the nature of God by his behavior. And I think that's what God calls us to do to show others the nature of God by how we live. How you treat other people, how you interact with, with one another. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, this shouldn't shock you out of your chair today. There we are told a new command I give you, this is Jesus speaking, to love one another. And then he says, love as, as I have loved you. Love the way I love So you must love one another. In fact, it's kind of a command there. You must love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It doesn't say all men will know that you are my followers if you dress a certain way. If you have that little fish thing on the back of your car. It doesn't say anything except for a command to to love. Over in 1 Corinthians, you know that's... 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the what? The love chapter. And, and here in this text, we are, we, we are told how to love. We, we are told how to, uh, to understand that principle. In the first few verses, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I, I'm just like a re- a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a gift of prophecy, but I can, and have the ability to fathom all mysteries and the knowledge, and I have to, uh, to, to, for my, uh, I have enough faith to move a mountain, but I am not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, yet I do not love, I have nothing. What do you think we have to have in our life as a Christian to be something? Love. 
And then he kind of defines it. This kind of love, he says, it never fails. It's unconditional. This kind of love, the Bible says, is perfect. This love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It is not rude, it's not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, and it keeps no records of wrongs. This love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always perseveres. That's the kind of love we ought to have. If not, I'm not sure we are pleasing to the Father. Now those of you maybe who, maybe your first time at church today, or or maybe a, a transition that you're going through to kind of get back to church, it's hard to hear these words because that's not the way the world loves, is it? The world loves conditionally. If you do this, don't do that. I'll love you. Debbie and Matt Silent and I left here about 6 in, in the morning yesterday, and we drove over to New Albany. They were having a uh, training session for small group leaders, and we thought that might be a good place to go and learn a little bit more and that gave us the chance most of the day to talk to some of their staff and to pick their brains and see how they do things and how we might tweak that for us but spent a little bit of time with two of our grandkids our littlest guy around 11 o'clock his mom said he lost his mind don't know what was happening. He can't really talk yet, but he began to cry and he began to cry and he began to cry. He was laying on the middle of the floor crying. He would stand up and he was crying. Finally, after we checked all possibilities, he wasn't bleeding, nothing was broke. And he was fine other ways. We decided that maybe he was hungry and tired. So we fed that boy and put him to bed and he was okay. Have you ever had moments when you've lost your mind? I mean, you just started to melt down right there in front of God and everybody simply because life was a little bit too, too much. And isn't it good, isn't it good once we kind of go through that phase, we come back to our senses and things are all better. We are commanded by God to love and to do it in such a way, I think, that changes the lives of others. In John chapter 5, verses 39 through 42. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, says Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you and I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You know, these were some of the religious big shots of the day, and Jesus is basically saying, hey, you guys are doing a lot of good stuff, but I don't think you love my Father. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus were here today, and he had a chance to analyze all of us, and we could spend a few minutes with him, and he maybe see how we worship, he maybe see how we interact with other people, and then we have our five minutes, our sit down with Jesus. I wonder if he would say, look into our eyes deeply and say, I think you're okay because I can tell you love the Father. 
Or if he would look at us and say, hey, I know you're here at church. I know that's a big deal. It's Sunday morning. I know you've been doing this and that. You're going through kind of a... Do I, I don't think you love my father. In John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you. As I have loved, you must also love one another. This is how men will know that you are part of me by the way you love one another. And that's kind of pretty simple, isn't it? We will prove who we say we are by how we love. You ever say something about another person you shouldn't say? You ever do something, go somewhere that you know you shouldn't be a part of? See, we are told right here in this text that we prove who we say we are by how we live. People can tell if you are connected by by how you live. And it's his command that we love, and it's an all-encompassing command. It's not selective. It's not by our own rules. It's his rules. So we need to love everyone the way Jesus loved. And you know what? Jesus even gave his life for people like you and me. And I know that we think we're pretty righteous and pretty holy, right? He even gave his life for people who weren't pretty righteous and weren't very holy. Could you do that? I'm not sure I could. But he did. Love is an action word. It demands a response. In Portland, Oregon, at a drive-through coffee place, the owner was amazed when a driver wanted to pay for the person behind her in line. And the owner said she smiled when that person came to the window and she gave her her mocha and said, hey, it's already been paid for by the person who was just here. She said that went on for 15 minutes. I think I've shared this before, but let me just drive it home. I was at the donut bank not that long ago. The kids were in town, and I went to the window. It was going to be about 25 bucks for the donuts and the drinks. And when I got there, the lady said, hey, the person in front of you has already paid this bill. I'm like, seriously? So not thinking, I said, well, let me take care of the next guy. $2.38. If I'd have been thinking, I'd have just said, hey, here's my 25 bucks, keep it going. They told me it had been going on for like a half hour, and I probably just about blew it out of the bank, you know? Random acts of kindness can show others that we are connected in a certain way. Just being kind. Just being loving, not saying what you really want to say. Sometimes you'll see me walking around here. I might have my hand in my pocket. That's usually when I'm pinching my leg. To tell me, Jerry, don't say it. I know they've asked you, do not say it. Sometimes I will be chewing on my lip right here. I'm trying to remind myself, do not say it. Because sometimes I can't really say what I think. Have you ever been there? I mean, you cannot. 
Does this dress make me look fat? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes you have to choose your battles, and we are commanded by God to learn how to love and to love in a way that, that initiates a response. One of the things that kept little Simon amused for seconds yesterday, I had the Evansville paper with me, and I laid it down on the floor, and he began to run on that paper in place— And then in circles, it seemed like for a long, long time. And then he hugged me. Newspaper. Who would have thought? There was a dad reading his paper, and his little guy came into the room, and he said, Daddy, I love you. And his dad said, I love you too, buddy. And they exchanged those words a few more times, and finally the little guy just took off like a banshee warrior and jumped right into the newspaper. And he said, Daddy, I love you, and I want to do something about it, so he hugged him. You see, love demands a response. That's the kind of way God wants us to love. He wants us to love in such a way that it just perpetuates action. Because I love you, here's what I want to do. Because I love you, I'm not going to do that. Because I love you, and that's the way it seems to, to go. You see, we, we prove who we say we are by how we live. You may have a degree in theology. You may have perfect attendance in Sunday school. Remember when that was a big deal? 29 years as chairman of the board. But if you don't show love with the way you interact with other people, then you can't really be called a disciple. So Jesus lived a life of love. He also had a servant's heart. And okay, we can love, we can love, but don't expect me to do anything with it. That's kind of the way we think, right? Just let me come and sit. When it's over, I just want to go. But you see, Jesus had a servant's heart. That's not the way he thought. And this guy here out of Tustin, California, his wife, Lynette Kittle, says that her husband was working a temporary job while he was looking for a job. It was in a large hardware chain. And she said he caused a little bit of uproar because at their little meeting for the day, he said he thought it would be great if they adopted a policy of going the extra aisle. Now, let's think about that. You ever walk into one of our big hardware stores here, and you just want to find somebody who works there, somebody who knows what they're doing? This guy's concept, if you work here, you just go the extra aisle. He said it was kind of a play on Matthew 5 where it says go the extra mile. Now, that is company policy where he works. They encourage their people to have kind of a servant's heart, and if someone is hunting for one of those big red doomajiggies, you help them go find it. And if that's not your area, you just take them and help them find it anyhow. Wouldn't that be kind of a great thing? I love the stores you go into, and, and you can tell by the way they're dressed, they're part of the company. 
But sometimes those people still don't know where the red doomajiggies are, do they? And they have no desire to go the extra aisle. A life dedicated to service is another one of his distinguishing trademarks. I think Mark 9 says, Jesus and his disciples were traveling to Capernaum. And you know the deal, the guys were arguing about who was going to be the best in the kingdom. Jesus does not even involve himself in the conversation until the conversation, the argument basically is over. And he says, hey guys, what were you talking about? And I'm sure they all looked at the ground. Isn't that what we do? Uh, Who's going to be the best? I can just see him doing that. And Jesus kind of gets them all together and he looks into their eyes and he says, if anyone wants to be first, in my kingdom, they must be what? Last. <laughs> Didn't want to hear that. Except for the slow ones. Okay, I like that idea. And then he goes on to say, he must learn to be a servant of, the Bible says, all. Holy stink. All. First will be last, greatest, smallest, first. Ben said there's a lot of Christians who are doing nothing, but there are no Christians who have nothing to do. Anybody here need something to do today? I know, I know what you're thinking. Man, if you knew my schedule, dude, you would just back off, bucko. I'm not talking about your schedule, I'm talking about the kingdom. And most all of us could be doing more for the king and the kingdom, couldn't we? Could we give more? Well, yeah, probably. Could we do more? I mean, could we spend more time actively? Well, yeah, 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 probably. Probably so. But we opt not to because we're not really connected in a way that would change how we live. The call to be like Christ is not a call to live comfortably, easy, In fact, I think God has us right where he wants us when we're not very comfortable. I mean, that's the way God works. When we have to rely on him, it kind of makes things different. So Jesus was a man who loved, he understood service, and he also was a man who was focused on a mission. You see, he was placed here by God to live a life of love and servanthood, and he was placed here by God to one day go to the cross. That was... His mission goes all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture. You know, the Bible is a love story from beginning to end. We had the whole garden thing. That kind of fell apart. And then he led his people to a promised land. That kind of fell apart. And Ten Commandments, that kind of went south. He sent angels, and nothing seemed to work till he sent his, his own son. And those of you who haven't been to church for some time, let me just share this. Jesus came to save lost, dying people. Guess who that is? Us. I had a friend stop me one time, hadn't seen her for a long time. And she said, Jerry, do you think it'd be okay if my family came to your church? I said, well, you know, here's kind of the deal. It's not my church. And I kind of talked her through that. I could see that was going nowhere. So I just worked there. It's a church. You know, she didn't get that. 
She said, what you don't understand, my family are all, we're all knee deep in sin. I said, really? Because you would get along well with us because we're all neck deep in sin. We're a bunch of sinners just trying to figure out which way to go. So if you want to bring your knee deepers in with us, neck deepers, we'll probably be okay. Anybody here? Neck deep in sin today? I mean, if we were honest. Jesus came to save the lost and dying people too. He also came to demonstrate his Father's love, compassion, and mercy. Do you think our world is good at love, compassion, and mercy? I mean, we don't even get that done very well at home, do we? Jesus came to teach the greatest truths about his Father. He came to model the type of life God intended us to live. Jesus came to develop a group of followers and to share a message with them so they might share that message with others. I I, I wonder how many times we as a group have shared the gospel message with anyone. I mean, that's what God calls us to do. I mean, we'll do it if we have to. You know, if there's nobody else around, if the elevator door shuts and we're the only one there and that person says, will you pray with me? We start hitting the buttons, don't we? We're almost down. Jesus came, the most important part of his mission, to grant us the forgiveness of sin so that this pardon might grant us eternal life. I mean, that's what the cross was all about. Did he have to go? No. It was God's predetermined plan. But Jesus had the choice to walk away at any moment. However, he continued to obey his Father for people like you and me. Anybody here ever disobey the Father? I wonder how many times God has come right to the edge of heaven and looked down on you and your little family and just... I wonder how many times God's done that for you. We are called to be like Christ to pursue our life mission. And he lived a life of love. He lived a life of service. And he focused on his, he never quit. I love this story. It's about a a retired fireman. His name Lee Elepe, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. I know I got the Lee part right. He retired in New York City. He gave 26 years of his life to the city as a firefighter, and on September 11, 2001, he gave much more. He gave his son, who had become a firefighter like his dad. Jonathan was on call when the towers fell. And I understand that the firefighters are a loyal clan, and if one perishes while on duty, the body is left where it's found until a firefighter who knows the fallen fireman can come and literally pick it up and carry it out. Lee made the discovery of his son's body his personal mission. And he dug and searched daily with dozens of others in that 16-acre graveyard. And on Tuesday, December 11th, three months after the disaster, his son was found, and Lee carried his son out. 
He didn't give up. He didn't quit. He kept searching. He refused to leave. Why? He says, because the love for his son was greater than the pain of the search. And I think the same thing could be said about Jesus. Why he didn't quit, it was because the love for his people, people like you and me, was greater than the pain of the journey and the ugliness of the cross. So he came to pull you and me out of our sin and to carry us home. You know, some of my best memories as a little kid is falling asleep in the family car on the way home from somewhere and waking up the next day in my bed. You know how I got there? My dad would pick me up and he would carry me in and he would drop me off. You know, there were times when I was kind of asleep, but I just wanted him to pick me up, carry me in, drop me off. I I, I wonder. I wonder what it's going to be like someday when we cross that line and we meet Jesus and he caresses us and as Psalms 23 says, the good shepherd comes to take us home. I wonder what that's going to be like. A life of love, a servant's heart, a focused mission to take to take the message to a dark and dying world. Man, it's been almost two years now. I was getting ready to leave on sabbatical. Remember that day? Debbie and I came up, you prayed for us, and it was a real good time of refreshing and refocusing. And one thing that I did before I left, I left leadership. I figured if I'm going to be reading all these books and studying stuff, you guys ought to do some things too, right? I mean, if we got elders who can't L, deacons who can't deacon, why do I need you? So I left him a book to read. It's entitled Deep and Wide by Andy Stanley. Just kind of a history of the church where he currently serves and how it kind of came into being. And we have kind of taken that book and, and, and what we would like to do is, is tweak a few things because I think we're doing a whole lot of good things here. But we think we could do some things better. And you're going to be hearing probably some stuff from that book. It's not the book because this is the book. However, one reason that Matt and Debbie and I went over to New Albany yesterday was to sit down with some people and learn a little bit more about small groups and how to do it better and learn a little bit more about first impressions and how to do that better because we want to be the best that we possibly can be. This April, I'm bringing a fella in from Illinois and he is going to just sit down with our elders for a Friday night and Saturday and he's going to share with them characteristics of healthy and effective elders. That's going to be Friday and Saturday, and then Sunday morning, he's going to speak to us and tell us characteristics of a healthy and effective church. And I think God's got some big plans for us. And I think even though the journey can be painful sometime, the result is greater than the pain. As we begin to consider communion today, I want to encourage you to stretch yourself. And if you're not a big lover of the kingdom, I encourage you to pray that God would give you a bigger heart for the kingdom.
for his son Jesus, that you might be able to teach that to your family. If you're not really connected in a servant-type concept, maybe you just need to pray, Father God, I love you. Show me where I can serve. Maybe you just need to pray, Father God, help me to connect to your mission for my family and for myself personally. Time of commitment as we come. Pray with me. Father God, we, we do love you. And in this new year, we, we want to stand.